After 20 years, U.S. troops are withdrawing from Afghanistan. It's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. And as the international military presence winds down, there's been headline after headline about the country's deteriorating security situation. We're going to start this news hour in Afghanistan, where violence is getting more intense. Hundreds have fled the region as Taliban attacks continue with its offensive. Multiple explosions have hit the Afghan capital, Kabul, including within the city's heavily fortified green zone. But the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan doesn't necessarily mean an end to U.S. influence. Today, we'll look at one shadowy type of group the U.S. has trained over the last 20 years. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Since the American-led invasion in 2001, the U.S. has trained thousands of Afghan security forces. Among them are militias that were backed by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. They're associated with Afghanistan's own intelligence service, the National Directorate of Security, or NDS. They're meant to fight armed groups like the Taliban and al-Qaeda. But for years, activists and journalists have documented civilian killings that took place by their hand. One of those journalists is Afghan-Austrian Imran Feroz. I'm Imran Feroz. I'm a journalist based in Germany. I'm often reporting from Afghanistan, covering the region, especially the war on terror in Afghanistan. So tell me how you first found out about these CIA-backed militia forces. The first time I heard about these forces was actually when a friend of mine from Khost told me that his province is controlled by a militia which is different than the regular Afghan army. Back then, I could imagine that it was somehow tied to the CIA because it was rather known that the CIA created separate Afghan militias after the war on terror in Afghanistan started. So I did some research and uh, I found out that these militias have an official name. It's called the Khost Protection Force, the KPF, and that they have been created indeed by the CIA and are working separately from the Afghan army and that these militias are known for a lot of human rights violations. Imran said this conversation took place a few years back. At the time, he was covering the U.S. drone war in Afghanistan. And that reporting eventually took him to Khost about a four-hour cab drive away from Kabul. It was my first trip to Khost province in 2017. And I didn't expect much from the militias, but my friend and other colleagues told me, just be aware because these militias are there on the ground and you will see them. You will see them very quickly. How would you notice them? How do they look different from, let's say, regular Afghan army forces? They were not poorly equipped like many Afghan soldiers and policemen. They look very professional. They are very well armed. They have helmets, all these super military technology you see with U.S. soldiers. I also saw it with them. Also the basic things like boots and their military dresses. All of it looked different. It looked cleaner. It looked better. For example, if you see an average Afghan soldiers, their salary is very, very bad. But the KPF militiamen, they are very well paid. 
The other thing I noticed is I have met a lot of Afghan soldiers. They look very, very poor and uh, weak because they don't get proper nutrition. But when I saw this militiaman, you know, all of them were tall and very well built and looked very athletic. And I was stunned when I saw that. And it has a reason, okay? They get good money, they get good food, they get good equipment. So if you're standing in front of them, it becomes visible very quickly. That was Imran's first personal experience with the host protection force. But they've been around for a while. In hosts, we have a very particular case because there is a CIA base called Camp Chapman and it was built uh, in the early years of the war on terror. The Americans started to train these militias and to build them to have their own local force on the ground. And particularly in Khost, this was important for them because it's next to the Pakistani border and During the last two decades, the Afghan-Pakistani border area has been described as a hideout for militant groups, for Taliban fighters. Afghan forces and U.S. troops maintain the peace in this province, which lies just a few kilometers from the Pakistan border. For the Taliban, control of this area would be strategic. So it was important to have a strong base in this region. But obviously, this is not the only part of Afghanistan, where you can find these militias. In addition to the Khost Protection Force, there are a few other CIA-trained groups operating in the country. These forces have gained some notoriety over the years. These special forces are a cut above the regular army. The CIA is funding, arming, and running secret Afghan militia who guard the border, gather intelligence, and launch kill raids against the militants. Different versions of these forces are known by various names. Sometimes they're referred to as strike forces or counterterrorism pursuit teams. Some are known by their unit number, like 01 or 02. Regardless of what they're called, though, activists and journalists have documented certain trends in their operations, including something called night raids. These night raids that are happening for almost two decades now in Afghanistan all have a very similar structure. The militias working with the U.S. military received information to attack the home of an alleged militant leader. Often this happened in rural areas of Afghanistan. And at the end, civilians have been killed randomly. And sometimes if you talk to people, they will tell you that, yeah, all of them were Afghans, but there were one or two Americans. For example, in October 2018, uh, I investigated a raid in Nangarhar province and some of the locals said that they were not alone. One or two American soldiers were with them. Human Rights Watch investigated these night raids as well. Here's Patricia Gosman, the organization's Associate Asia Director. In our 2019 report about CIA-backed strike forces in Afghanistan, we concluded that they had committed summary execution and other grave abuses without accountability. They had unlawfully killed civilians during night raids, forcibly disappeared detainees, and attacked healthcare facilities for allegedly treating insurgent fighters. Human Rights Watch got a statement from the CIA for their report. The agency said it didn't have time to investigate the allegations, but that, quote, 
We can say with some confidence that many, if not all, of the claims leveled against Afghan forces are likely false or exaggerated. End quote. The report came out in October of 2019. At that time, the Trump administration was beginning to negotiate with the Taliban. That year, the United Nations noted an uptick in violence caused by pro-government forces. And they specifically made note of operations from the Khost Protection Force and similar groups. Since then, journalists like Imran continue to track these groups ahead of the withdrawal of international forces. In October 2020, uh, there was a case of 14 civilians which have been killed by the KPF and Khost. I worked together with a local colleague of mine and uh, we found the family of Mohammad Shaukat and they told us about uh, a night raid which targeted Shaukat, who was in his early 40s and who worked as a food vendor in Khost City. He had no connection to any militant group, but for some reason the KPF attacked his home and uh, dragged him into the street and killed him with no reason. So this was a brutal execution that took place. And at the end, all the locals knew that they couldn't do much because the culprits were the KPF militiamen and uh, you can't touch them. Which gets at another issue that both Patricia and Imran have documented with the strike forces. Accountability and a hazy chain of command. Here's what Patricia heard during her investigation. Officials in the Afghan government promised to look into these. In some cases, they even made claims that they were not responsible for these abuses. They were out of their hands, more or less indicating that these forces operate outside the normal security institutions chain of command within the Afghan government, which is what we say in the report, that they answer to the CIA. And in his reporting, Imran found the same. In Khost, most people know that the Americans are their masters. There were also reports in the past that the NDS took over the control of these units, but I have never been really convinced about that because after human rights violations, we often saw that nobody could touch these militias and also that the NDS didn't show much interest in it. And on the other side, we have to focus on the fact that the NDS, the Afghan Intelligence Service, is also a product of the war on terror. It has been created by the Americans and their allies in late 2001. So, of course, all of these groups are somehow connected to each other, but it's very, very intransparent. I asked Imran about the reaction he's seen from authorities about the investigations into these forces. I think that within the Afghan government, there are many people with power who are not just not interested in this, but they start to dehumanize the victims, you know? Even if Human Rights Watch or journalists like myself come up with proof that civilians have been killed, you often see a reaction like, I bet there were still some Taliban members in this village. Or you hear stuff like, the militants are using the homes of these people as human shields, or some, you know, stuff like that. There is a huge dehumanization campaign that we are facing for almost two decades in Afghanistan when it comes to a certain group of people. And the view from the West and from the United States, is it that 
these troops are necessary to maintain the peace, I guess they would say. The United States, you know, they are still using the same rhetoric. They are talking about counterterrorism forces and that they are necessary on the ground. Our goal in Afghanistan is to help the people of that country to defeat the terrorists and establish a stable, moderate, democratic state that respects the rights of its citizens, governs its territory effectively, and is a reliable ally in this war against extremists and terrorists. What we can do and will do is build a partnership with the Afghan people that endures, one that ensures that we will be able to continue targeting terrorists and supporting a sovereign Afghan government. We will not dictate to the Afghan people how to live or how to govern their own complex society. We are not nation-building again. We are killing terrorists. They act as if it's something natural to have these people and that this is how war is working and how war should be, a clandestine war also. So you see not many official statements on these issues, but we also don't have to forget that these militias are tied to the CIA, an intelligence service. And the work of an intelligence service is to work in the shadows. So I think that even if they maintain these troops in the future, they will not tell us because it's not the interest of an intelligence service to inform the public about such things. The future role of the CIA in Afghanistan has been the subject of a lot of speculation since U.S. President Joe Biden announced the withdrawal of American troops. CIA Director William Burns reportedly made a quiet trip to Afghanistan in April. Shortly before that visit, he made these comments to the U.S. Senate. The U.S. government's ability to collect and act on threats will diminish. That's simply a fact. Um, it is also a fact, however, that after withdrawal, whenever that time comes, the CIA and all of our partners in the U.S. government will retain a suite of capabilities, some of them remaining in place, some of them that will generate, that can help us to anticipate and contest uh, any rebuilding effort. Taliban advances have continued over recent weeks. And Afghan President Ashraf Ghani recently claimed the Taliban are more cruel now than they've been before. We are facing an unprecedented onslaught of terrorism. The Taliban are not the same as 24 years ago. The Taliban have attacked us more intensely, more bloodthirstily, and more aggressively. Not only has the Taliban not cut ties with domestic and international terrorists, but these ties have become stronger, their violence has increased. As the security situation in Afghanistan continues to deteriorate, there are questions about the legacy of these CIA-backed militias and how it will affect the current fight ahead for the country. Here's Patricia again. In terms of what will happen from this point on, whether these forces backed by the CIA will continue to operate in Afghanistan, there are indications that the agency intends to continue to work with such forces. We have no, of course, confirmation of that. But we've long been concerned that the legacy of these kinds of units that operate outside ordinary chains of command, outside the law, are a very dangerous element in a very complex war. And it's something that Afghan officials have pointed to as well. So if the intention is to keep such forces 
you know, that's very likely to continue to fuel the kind of grievances and abuses that really are part of the, the cycle of revenge and violence in Afghanistan. Imran is also concerned about the role of these groups, regardless of whether they're attached to the CIA in the future. In general, we have to ask ourselves what is going to happen with these militias, not just when it comes to their financial future, but also how they would shape the battlefield after the U.S. withdrawal. At the moment, the Afghan war is mainly fought by Afghans themselves, and these militias are a crucial part of it, and this will even become stronger after the withdrawal itself. People are talking about the U.S. military withdrawal, but they tend to forget that these Afghan forces cannot withdraw. They aren't going anyway. They're staying in Afghanistan and making war was their profit. So, yeah, it's very questionable what is going to happen with them. So, Imran, final question here, and this is a hard one because who knows, but from your expertise and from your reporting, what comes next? What do you foresee happening? So there are different scenarios uh, that are imaginable. First of all, the withdrawal takes place, but Washington still supports the Afghan government in Kabul and the Afghan military, the Afghan security forces, including these militias. And we see a total Afghanization of the war. Another scenario is uh, a civil war like in the 1990s. When the last communist government fell in 1992, the Afghan Mujahideen, the different rebel factions, conquered Kabul and other cities. And instead of building a proper government, they started to fight each other. And Kabul and other places, they became hellholes. And if you talk to people, especially in Kabul, about this time, they're still very traumatized and they think that something similar might happen again. So this is a fear many people have. I really hope that all Afghan factions, the Afghan government, the Taliban, and everyone else involved in this becomes aware of the fact that they could use this momentum to come to the final conclusion that after all these invasions, the Soviet invasion, the US invasion, all these political factions use the moment to understand that they could not continue fighting the wars of foreign powers of neighboring countries. The Americans are calling this the longest war because of 20 years. But for Afghans, it, it's just half of the story. It's more than 40 years for them now. And I think it's really time to find a proper political settlement to end future bloodshed. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliay, with Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.